to Cancer HealthCast, where science is driving hope. I'm your host, Nikki Henderson. Today, we are joined by Dr. Lori Manasian, Deputy Director for Division of Cancer Prevention at the National Cancer Institute. Lori is a board-certified medical oncologist who has led NCI's Community Clinical Oncology Program for the past 15 years. She has served on multiple internal NCI committees and external working groups evaluating the clinical and scientific needs and operational efficiency of clinical trials, methods, and processes. Lori has also served in an advisory capacity for the NIH Roadmap and the development of clinical trials networks at other NIH institutes. Hello, Lori. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hello. It's my pleasure to be here. Great. Well, Lori, could you please start off by giving us a brief introduction of your division at NCI, its mission, and your work? Thank you very much, Nikki. Um, The Division of Cancer Prevention furthers the mission of the National Cancer Institute by leading, supporting, and promoting rigorous research and training to prevent cancer and its consequences and to improve the overall health of all people. In particular, our division has funded clinical trials in cancer screening and cancer prevention and symptom management for really over 40 years. Our division was broken into two in uh, about 2000 so that the cancer control aspects are are now done through the Division of Cancer Control and Special Populations. And then the Division of Cancer Prevention has basically done all the cancer prevention, symptom management, and um, early detection and cancer screening. And today, my understanding is we're going to talk about a variety of different things in the cancer screening space. In particular, we've had uh, quite a bit of experience in designing and conducting cancer screening clinical trials and um, following the participants in those trials for an extended period of time so that we can maximize the use of the clinical trials data over the long haul. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, what are multi-cancer detection tests? And can you explain how they fit into President Biden's reignited cancer moonshot? Certainly. So multi-cancer detection assays are assays or tests that measure different biologic analytes in any body fluid. It can be blood, it can be urine, it can be um, sputum, the stuff you cough up when you've got a bad cold, or it can be even things like cerebrospinal fluid. For the most part, the multi-cancer early detection tests today are the ones that measure analytes in blood. And they have two pieces to them. The first piece is actually measuring the biologic components, whatever they are, Sometimes the components are DNA, sometimes they're RNA, they could be exosomes, they could even be antibodies against cancer. So the first part is measuring those biologic analytes. And then the second part is a software algorithm that each of the individual companies and developers um, have developed that provides a cut point for what is a positive test and what is a negative test. And those algorithms are very different based upon what the assay claims to detect. And some of the assays don't just detect 
one biologic phenomenon, but may combine things together like DNA mutations in RNA or DNA mutations in protein. And so what's not clear and what offers a huge variation is the opportunity to measure certain signals and then determine basically what's a positive and what's a negative test. These offer incredible potential for improving cancer screening in the long run, okay? And so the, the promise and the hope of these new tests are that they can, in fact, facilitate uh, President Biden's second moonshot here by improving our ability to detect cancers early. So currently, there are very limited cancer screening tests that are available, and those that are available screen for one kind of cancer at a time. So for instance, mammography is approved for breast cancer. Colonoscopy and other kinds of fit tests are approved for colon cancer. And then we have HPV testing and pap smears for cervical cancer. And we have PSA for prostate cancer and lung imaging or low-dose CAT scans for lung cancer. So a person would need, currently, an individual being screened for cancer needs to be seen and schedule several different tests. So wouldn't it be a fabulous idea if you just had to have a blood test and that solved all your problems? If it was positive, then you would, your doctor would know what to do with that positive information. And if it was negative, then potentially you could be somewhat reassured. Well, so that's the optimal scenario. And we are here today and these assays are being moved forward because of 20 to 30 plus years of the investment in basic and translational study that the National Cancer Institute and then NIH have done. So we're very fortunate to be at this place. The real question, however, is how well do these tests work and how do we study them to make sure we understand how to use the information? Right. Well, these tests certainly seem promising. I mean, and convenient and just a one blood test and you would know, you know, positive or negative if you've tested for cancer. So definitely something that's very hopeful. Um, Lori, what are some of the unique challenges of MCD tests and what types of cancers uh, do they identify? So because each of the assays or the tests test different biological signals, they don't necessarily, you know, they have actually a different grouping of cancers that they detect. And there's really no one assay that accurately can detect every single cancer at early stage. In fact, right now we're not sure because there hasn't been sufficient data published that these tests can truly detect cancer early. And so Part of the unique challenge here is understanding that each of these different cancers has different growth rates, different biologic properties, and even within one specific cancer type, take breast cancer. We know that based upon um, hormone receptor status or mutations, that the behavior of the breast cancer is quite different. If you have triple negative breast cancer, no estrogen or pro progesterone receptors, and no um, receptors for HER2, then you have potentially a more aggressive cancer. 
Whereas if you're an older woman and you have a hormone positive cancer, chances are it's a less aggressive cancer. So you can't even measure all cancers the same way. So one of the real challenges then is how do we study and think about screening with these tests that in fact would evaluate the possibility of cancers from all sources. So when we've designed and studied testing for cancer screening, we've actually designed the studies very clearly where you're evaluating one specific test, let's say lung CT scans for a high-risk population, smokers. You give them, you randomize per smokers of a certain age to whether or not they're going to get receive an annual low-dose CT scan. And then you follow them. And if there's an abnormal scan, they get uh, sent to their local doctor for a workup to determine what was abnormal in that scan. And then you follow the participants ultimately for survival and mortality. And essentially, through that design, we did, in fact, through the National Lung Cancer Screening Trial, demonstrated that using low-dose CT scans does, in fact, improve overall survival from lung cancer. They clearly showed that, you know, with the low-dose CT scans, you can pick up the lung cancer early. You can go through a diagnostic workup that is, in fact, reasonable, appropriate, and um, feasible. And then patients get treated and you have your outcome. But for a blood test, it's a little bit more complicated, okay? So that when you have the blood test and it's positive, what does that mean? Where do you start? For some assays, the next step is a whole body scan to see where there might be an abnormality. For other tests, there might be another piece of information that the test gives you, which is the tissue of origin. So there are some assays which say, okay, you're positive and point you in a direction of a tissue to explore, breast, GI, something else that leads you down the path of where to go. Because screening is not just about a test, it's about the full complement of, um, of the process. None of these tests, none of these assays, not even a mammogram is diagnostic. A mammogram just tells you there's an abnormality. You still have to do the additional work. You still have to go through a biopsy and other things in order to demonstrate definitively that it's cancer. And many women are comfortable, or comfortable is probably not the right word, uh, at least understand that an abnormal mammogram itself does not mean you have cancer. And some, right? Um, and women go through biopsies and the biopsy says, no, there's no cancer here. So it's a whole process um, before you have a definitive diagnosis. Well, just like that, for some of these blood tests, you know, the, the companies have been designing the tests to minimize the numbers of people who would have a false positive, you know, who would have a positive test when there isn't cancer, which is a good thing. But then you still have to go through the workup, and it's not entirely clear what the sensitivity for any one cancer is for many of these assays. Some have been published, but not all. I see. Well, thank you for addressing uh, some of those unique challenges of the MCD testing and also highlighting the results of the, the lung cancer trials. I appreciate that. Well, Lori, can... 
MCD tests cause potential harm? And are there any FDA-approved MCD tests available or currently being used in the U.S.? So because there's still uncertainty about um, the use of these MCD assays or MCD tests, um, there are potential harms. As I said, the companies have done um, a good job of setting the uh, specificity high so that they reduce the numbers of false positives, but they don't reduce the numbers of false positives to zero. And again, the uh, mammogram example is a concrete example that none of our screening tests actually have a very, very low rate of false positives. We understand and at some level accept that there will be some, but those false positives really need to be quantified and understood so that physicians have some understanding of what the next steps are, how to evaluate uh, per persons with a false positive. So if you have a false positive and you go down, you go down the road of um, working up that patient for that positive test, you know, what happens when you don't find a cancer? What does that mean? How, how many tests does that, partic does that patient and the physician feel are necessary to prove to themselves that it's a negative test, that it's a false positive? And what does that mean in terms of follow-up? Again, going back to the mammogram example, often you'll see you know, a woman with a po an abnormal mammogram who might have a sonogram, who might um, have a biopsy, and then they say, okay, well, we will follow you up in three months or six months or some other time frame. None of that information is known currently to provide physicians with some sort of assurance that there is a process that we understand what all of this means. And so because there is uncertainty in false positives and there are other uncertainties, because there's also the false negative harm. So you get a negative result, but it's not really negative. To date, most of the published information about the positives and the negatives don't really follow the participants that have had a negative test to see how many people at one year, two years, six months develop a cancer and what those cancers are. There's just insufficient information at this time to understand all of that. And there have been some publications in the just the the um, generic press uh, about cases where that has happened, where a person's had an MSED test and it's been negative and for whatever reason followed up with uh, some other test and found to have an early cancer. So we need to have to understand all the harms. We really do need to run large scale randomized trials that will provide um, a careful quantitation of all the benefits and the potent and the harms so that we understand how best to use these assays. Currently, it puts, it puts some physicians in an awkward position of having, you know, people come and say, I would like a test, but not knowing what to do with the information as a consequence of the test, okay? So most of these assays, now switching over to the FDA question, most of these assays have not even gone through the FDA process. So there are no MSID assays that are in fact FDA approved. There are probably three assays currently as of May 19 
that have gone through some of the, the FDA process and had received breakthrough designation, suggesting that they're, you know, basically demonstrating that they are in fact working towards FDA approval, but have not met all the requirements just yet. So we see we're reassured that at least this process is being uh, beginning. I see. Well, you've been talking about false positives and false negatives with, with the testing and all of these uncertainties. So when a patient is screened for cancer, does a positive result on an MCD test mean that a person has cancer? And does a negative cancer screening test mean that a person does not have cancer? So the answer is no, <laughs> at least right now, it's no, just like a mammogram. If you have a mammogram and it's negative, does that mean you don't have breast cancer? Not entirely. It means the likelihood is very low, but it's not zero, just with the same with MSEDs. And so where we are now is trying to understand what those mean, because at least with mammography, we've had decades of understanding of its use to be able to quantify and have a better description of what the harms and the benefits are. With respect to the MSED tests, it, it's, it's, it's a good idea to remember that what it does is measure a biologic signal, and then based upon the company's cut point, that's what gives a positive or a negative. Okay, so this is, again, going back, let's take the blood glucose example. You go into your doctor's office, you have a blood sugar test, you know, if it's slightly elevated, the doc has had probably years of experience with it. And the next question is, did you fast before you had the blood test? What did you do before? You know, and so, well, it's not that high. Let's recheck and let's make sure you fast. So there's some comfort around what the, what the range of normal is for that blood test. There's some comfort around what to do with a possibly, you know, um, a result that may or may not be what you think based upon the clinical scenario of the participant or the patient in front of you. And that comes from years of experience, not just with using it, but clinical data from clinical trials as well. And so, so one of the issues here then becomes, okay, what does a positive mean? A positive means that they measured those signals and the cut point, and, and the signal was above the cut point. So there is a possibility that the person has cancer based upon those analytes in their blood. Okay. The next step is then working up them to see whether or not they really have cancer and what the trajectory of that is. If it's negative, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have cancer because right now we don't understand the biology well enough to know that that biologic signal may only be released in advanced cancer and not necessarily released in early cancer or may only be released when you have aggressive disease and not slow growing disease. So there's a, a lot of um, information here that still needs to be sorted out and understood for, uh, for physicians to be able to understand the true use of these tests in the setting of cancer screening. I see. 
for many people who are in disadvantaged populations, we know that they don't have access to proper uh, screenings, cancer screenings, cancer treatment, that sort of thing. So can you tell us what role MCD tests can play when it comes to addressing health disparities? Sure. Certainly, they appear to be very promising. After all, it's just a blood test, right? But again, screening is not just a test. It's a whole process. So if we have people in underserved populations for whom a blood test is easy to get, but the follow-up workup is even more challenging. You know, let's say, let's say you get a blood test and it's positive and the next step is to have a CAT scan, but you have to take work off, you have to take time off from work, you have to travel, you have to make the appointment. And sometimes if the appointment is, you know, many miles away, you may or may not be able to have an appointment in a timely fashion. All of these things add up. If you're under, if you don't have health care insurance, or if you don't have enough resources, it's just going to be a big, big challenge. So part of this is how do you understand the use? How well do we understand the information generated from these assays so that we can understand the barriers and the challenges around underserved populations and make this an easy way? to help. We just don't have any of that information right now. So essentially, we still want to run the randomized controlled trials. We want to um, do our best to recruit participants from a variety of different backgrounds so that we can better understand what are the unique challenges in this particular scenario. Um, we do have, I mean, we have uh, universities and other settings where people, where there will be like a mobile mammogram, right? Um, a van that goes around that has the equipment to do a mammogram, you know, traveling around to do blood tests would be a whole lot simpler. But then what are the next steps after that blood test? And how do you help those participants reach and access the care that they would need to get as a consequence of that? Yes, that's definitely the challenge. So is the state of the science where it needs to be for MCD tests to be widely used and effective? I think most physicians who take care of patients would want to have much more information about the use of MSEDs in the process of cancer screening. And that's really what we're trying to do in terms of doing the randomized control trial, understanding the whole process so that we can provide the data to patients, to physicians, and to payers so that we better understand how best these assays can be used for the purpose of cancer screening and what the challenges, barriers, and, and potential harms are. Okay. Well, Lori, can you please tell us about the new clinical trials network NCI is launching to evaluate MCDs and other emerging screening technologies. So thank you. We um, So NCI has spent quite a bit of time thinking about MSID assays and the process of cancer screening. And last fall, we released a request for applications for investigators interested in forming a new clinical trials network specifically de devoted to cancer screening. 
as you know, NCI has uh, a tremendously successful uh, clinical trials network for cancer treatment and for uh, engaging community physicians in both cancer treatment and cancer prevention. We have our our NCI Cancer Clinical Trials Network and our NCI Community Oncology Research Program. And so we're starting a third new network called the Cancer Screening Research Network, which will be designed for investigators who have expertise in cancer screening to then uh, be funded to design and develop cancer screening clinical trials. Ultimately, this network will design and develop and conduct a variety of different clinical trials using different emerging technologies. But right now, the NIDIS for its development and our current need is to evaluate multi-cancer detection assays. And specifically, the first thing and what was required in the request for application is for all the applicants to provide some description of how they would engage in our Vanguard study or our pilot feasibility study. Because these MSID assays potentially detect multiple different cancers, designing this trial is quite complicated. And so we, with the help of investigators around the world, we've put together some thoughts on how to design this and published a paper in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute earlier this year that really describes a lot of those different considerations. And it was collectively agreed that, in fact, we probably needed to run a pilot study. Mind you, this pilot study is not small. It'll be about 24,000 people. So it's a fairly large pilot study. But the idea is to work out some of the kinks and and really a test drive some of our assumptions for the study before we launch an even larger study with about 10 times the numbers of participants involved. So, yes, we're hoping to stand up the network in January 24. Um, We've received excellent applications. They're currently under review. And so... um, we're waiting to see how the review process goes. Well, that's wonderful. I, I'm excited to hear about that. And uh, you said the Cancer Screening Research Network will, you said it will be stood up in January 2024? Yes. Right around the corner, as they say. <laughs> yes, that is. That is. Wow. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting. We'll have to follow up with you you know, to see what progress you guys make with that. That's wonderful. Well, before we conclude, Lori, I just want to know, do you have any Final comments, remarks that you would like to leave with our listeners? I think in summary, I'd like to say that these MSED assays are incredibly promising and hold a whole lot of hope. But we really need to study them to understand how to, u- how to use them the right way. You know, I could envision a scenario where different, I mean, different people have different risk levels for cancer. So we shouldn't assume that everybody has the same needs the same screening process. So it may be that high-risk individuals should be screened early and frequently with blood tests, but we need to make sure we have the right tests that measure all of their cancers. And it may not be one test. It may be a combination of tests. And so it's going to take some time to sort out what's the right strategy for, you know, people based upon their individual needs. So That's really the goal of the Cancer Screening Research Network is to take this wonderfully promising technology 
study it so that we can figure out how to use the right technology for the right person so that everybody benefits. Perfect, Lori. That that was excellent. And I want to thank you again uh, for your time. This has been a, a really great conversation and I, I really enjoyed it. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Nikki. It's a pleasure to be here. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com. Dot com.